Hello and welcome to the Hayes Podcast Channel. This is our fifth episode. I'm delighted to be talking to you today. My name is Rohan De Rosario. I'm the Managing Director and the Global Head of Hayes Talent Advisory Services. For those of you that don't know, Hayes has recently launched our Talent Advisory Services. The purpose of this practice is to help our clients get the right talent in the right roles. Broadly speaking, we help clients in the areas of talent planning, talent assessments, and how to acquire and develop better talent. All of this underpinned by diversity, equity, and inclusion. I'm again delighted to say today's topic focuses on diversity, equity, and inclusion, or what I'll be referring to as DE&I. And we have today with us my colleague, Dan Robertson, who's our Global Head of DE&I Advisory Services at Hayes. Morning all, Rohan, I'm delighted to be taking part in today's uh, episode. Uh, as you say, I'm uh, the Global Head of DE&I at Hayes. Uh, prior to that, I spent 20 odd years in DE&I consulting with, with many global businesses. Uh, just two minutes about me. I really am a working class kid. I come from a very sort of um, humble background and I, I got into DNI, I think, because I understood from a very early age how people judge you, look at you uh, because of who you are, where you come from, how you sound, what you look like. And so I think for me, you know, from being a kid, I actually understood, you know, this idea of unconscious bias and stuff like that, which has been a real driver. And we can say more about that as we go through the podcast. Fantastic. A pleasure to have you with us today, Dan. Dan, both of us have been in the world of work for over 25 years now. And I'm sure you'd agree with me that the world of work is fundamentally changing. There are several different drivers to that. And given the world of work, the future of work and where we are today, help us think a bit through what does DE&I mean? That's a really good uh, starting question, actually, and I'm sure we'll talk more about those drivers. But before we do, I think it is really important, actually, as people go on their DE&I journey, that they know what these things are. So what's the distinction? So when I think of diversity, I think of diversity in a really broad sense. So for me, diversity is simply about difference. So it's all of those differences that we might think about. So it would incorporate things like race, gender, disability, sexual orientation, etc. But for us to get any rewards from this, it's really important that businesses really stretch their thinking. So diversity incorporates things like uh, cognitive thinking styles, um, you know, ways of working, all, all of that stuff. So diversity is really about difference and organizationals have an approach which is about representation. So trying to get difference in their organizations and trying to move it up. We do know though, that that's only the first step on the journey. And if we want to get any success from having a DEI approach or strategy, we've also got to focus absolutely on that inclusion space. So inclusion is about saying to what extent, once we have diverse talent in an organization, do we value, respect, but more importantly, leverage the skill sets and the ideas of people who are tr traditionally different from the sectors that we're recruiting them into. And that becomes all the more important in today's workplace with about five different generations of workforce in the workplace, whether we were to take the, you know, the boomers, the baby boomers, as we call them from the 50s and 60s, the generation alpha today, 
all working together in the workplace. Um, also through digitalization, automation, now we'll be looking at process uh, um, uh, improvements across outsourcing. The fundamental core issue to productivity is collaboration, and that makes inclusiveness all the more important. Fantastic. So Dan, give us, give us a flavor about the kind of work you've been doing with clients and what you bring as part of the Hayes advisory practice to our clients. Yeah, it's a really good question. And, I, and we'll come back to your point on collaboration, actually, because I think that's a real a critical um, reason, if you like, for why we're doing this stuff. I mean, we, we support clients in really two broad areas. One is effectively on DE&I strategy. So if we're having an approach to this topic, it's really important that clients um, understand what their roadmap is. And our client base could be those super large global or international corporations or tiny organizations, SMEs, which are location-specific. So we're not sector-specific or location-specific. We're subject matter experts. But how we assist our clients is really through a a seven-stage process. And I won't go through all of those seven stages. Uh, We can connect with people afterwards. But the first point for me is around a data collection. And data is fundamentally the first step on the journey because if organizations don't have their diversity data, so they haven't mapped their workforce and and Rohan, I know that this is really playing into your area of work in terms of talent advisory. But if they haven't mapped their diverse workforce and tracking where their success points are, but also where their strategic gaps are, it's difficult to then make decisions. The other thing which most organizations miss that we advise our corporate clients on is data tracking on inclusion. And I think that's a really critical point because sometimes there's an over-focus, if you like, on diversity or an under-focus on inclusion. So data tracking and assessments of gaps and priorities is critical. And then we move forward. And as we move forward, we need to think about a couple of things. One is it's important that organizations take what we call an intersectional approach to inclusion management. So if we take a very simple example, Uh, Most global corporates tend to focus on things like gender, but actually the experience of corporate life, if you are a black female in comparison to a white female would be or potentially could be significantly different. So having that intersectional approach is going to be critical in terms of creating that culture, which is inclusive, which leads to the collaboration, which you're talking about. One of the critical steps in terms of strategy is really about building a workplace community so that's all that stuff around how do we build psychological safety how do we build intrinsic you know connectivity to corporate values corporate norms etc and then once we've gone through that process we effectively work with organizations to say um what's the end game for you and that would result in the establishment of some kind of diversity and inclusion target or kpis and it's a it's an interesting topic that we might want to come back to because my view is, you know, we operate on the principle of what gets measured gets done. So if you don't have targets or KPIs on this topic, it's difficult to measure progress. So to quickly summarize that then in terms of the points, Dan, would you say the key points about focusing on the DEI strategy are about having an approach which is an integrated approach between diversity, equity, inclusion, the focus a lot more on inclusion today than on diversity, which is a given. Collect, track, and analyze data. That is the key. Without having data, 
you make decisions in the dark. Educate your workplace, your, your workforce. Build a workplace community and integrate DE&I into everything you're doing to be able to track success, have clear KPIs and track success. Absolutely, yeah, all of that. And I think they are the foundation stones of a really, really effective strategy. And that's our approach, you know, when we're working with our global clients. Now, Dad, is it, is it fair to say that leaders have a very, very important part to play in this? Fundamental. Um, we uh, spend a lot of time, and I personally spend a lot of my time working with um, leaders across the whole globe talking about the principles of inclusive leadership. And I think it's a really good question, actually, because um, organizations can do some really great work around the kind of architecture of DEI, if you like, which is the data collection, which is establishing things like even employee resource groups and integrating this into systems and processes around that talent process. If we don't have the support of organizational leaders, processes just tend to get stuck. They tend to get stuck in the middle. So for this to be effective, we've got to build leadership capabilities. And the way that we do that through our uh, DNI advisory service is really how we have an effective model on inclusive leadership. And there are a number of core capabilities and traits that we work with our leaders on terms of things like building empathy curiosity building connectivity with diverse stakeholders you know all of those things we actually have um we did a, a global mapping exercise a number of years ago and we actually have an inclusive leadership tool that we use to measure leadership capabilities uh, within our global client base and so um i think it's a really good question rohan actually because without the assessment of leaders and understanding their capabilities, it's difficult for them to feel two things. One is confident on this topic, and the second is building their competences, and that's what we're trying to do. And going back to our earlier point, given the world of work is changing, the type of leadership that was required in the past and the type of leadership now required in the future is also evolving. I was, I was quite lucky, actually, when we first met to get that diagnostic, the leadership uh, inclusivity diagnostic from you. And I, I enjoyed taking it because it gave me some fantastic insights on on myself and my behavior, how I worked with teams. Uh, and then also what I liked is we, you know, I could I could pass it on to the teams and the teams give me feedback as well against those behavioral criteria. So I think it's absolutely something our uh, clients would benefit from. Dan, talk us a little more through the type of strategy work you're doing with clients and the importance of training as part of our DE&I offering we take to clients. Yeah, it's a really good question. So so the sorts of work that we do with uh, clients is, as I've said, we could we often go in and we have a particular methodology when we're supporting clients. And so the first point is really establishing where are you at? But again, going back to that question of leadership, what is your ambition for this agenda? Now, we are, in a way, to use a phraseology, you know, we are non-judgmental. And what I mean by that is some of our global clients are very ambitious on their DNI journey. And, and even if they haven't started, they come to us and say, you know, we, we recognize that we're behind the curve and we want to be a thought leader in this space. But interestingly, you know, a number of our clients or many of our clients actually come to us and say, hey, Dan, we don't want to be a thought leader, but we want to make sure that we're good enough to make sure that we're doing what we should be doing. And that could be driven by legal frameworks, regulatory frameworks, or employee expectations. So 
the first start on that journey is around establishing where you're at, but what is your ambition for this? And then we go into that process mode of the data collection and the rest of it. Within this process, it is important that we build internal capabilities to, if you like, understand what DE&I is, understand what unconscious bias is, understand what inclusive leadership is. And that process of capability building builds two other things. It builds the confidence and competence. So we inject training into our strategy development process. And that is everything from all of the inclusive leadership that we do and the assessment that you've talked about. And that assessment could be a one-to-one assessment or a 360 assessment. But beyond that, it's really important that we build or train hiring managers, uh, recruiters, uh, middle managers that will be responsible for employee um, performance reviews to make sure that people are aware of you know those unconscious biases which feed across that employee life cycle so they can make sure they're they're mitigating bias in that process so so I would say that training is a really critical element in terms of building organizational you know capabilities on this uh, on this topic again all behavioral science research suggests that more diverse teams the more productive they are and that's a given um I think as people bring themselves to work, it's a whole mix of their capability, their mindset, their attitude. And you put that in the context of a team together, the dynamics of the team are very important in getting people to work well together. So for me, I think investing in the broader DE&I training at every level in the organization is a no-brainer. But Dan, through your experience of you know the past 20 odd years working with clients, Give me an idea of the kind of behavioral change you've seen in terms of of after having provided the training. And also this morning, you were talking about the training being a whole journey. So it's not an intervention at a point in time. Help our listeners get a flavor of the kind of training, but what would they get at the end of this journey? So it's a really good question. And I think the starting point for for any, any training should be, what are we trying to achieve? Okay. And fundamentally, what we're trying to achieve as part of uh, the work that we do is is two things. We're trying to influence two things. One is everyday behaviors. And the second is decision making. So we want to make sure that everybody's behaviors, regardless of whether you're a strategic leader or just a colleague in an organization, that your behavior aligns to organizational values and your legal frameworks and the rest of it. But we also want to make sure that decision making is fair consistent, free from bias. So they're the two key anchors that our training um, is focused on. And our work is underpinned by two core areas of of, uh, thinking, if you like. What is social psychology in terms of what is the issue? How do human beings behave in the way that they behave? And Rohan, you and I will know that Human beings are wonderful, but we're slightly strange. We're unpredictable uh, creatures, aren't we? We know that we're very unpredictable. And so we draw on social psychology to say, well, why is this? What are these biases that we uh, that we have and how do they manifest themselves? And I think that's really important for colleagues to understand that. But the critical thing also is that raises awareness, but that's only one ingredient. And my, if you like, critique of uh, lots of, training is that it stops there and that's a problem because actually if we want to have an impact which is ultimately what we're trying to do if we want to impact those behaviors and that decision making we have to move towards behavioral science 
because behavioral science approach, which says these are the nudges, the interventions, often the tiny things that we can uh, change about ourselves in order to influence our own behavior, the behavior of our colleagues, and therefore corporate culture. So that behavioral science approach is really critical. But the, the final thing that I would say on the training is when people talk about training, they talk about a workshop. So it could be a two-hour workshop, a three-hour workshop. You know, the days of doing all-day programs are pretty much gone. <clears throat> that has a limited impact. So it's important that you have a suite of offerings. So for us, it would be pre-in-session learning, which could be supported by, you know, think piece papers, blogs, going back to the inclusive leadership assessment. So lots of tools that we use to warm people up and get the thinking going before we go into that conversation in the session. And then afterwards, using that nudge principle in terms of, you know, sending out lots of nudges afterwards, sending support material, lots of conversations or interventions that we use. So the work is underpinned by those two principles, but it's also supported by front-end and back-end material, which we know also, um, based on that, keeps the sustainability of the impact of the training going. Fantastic. I think definitely a lot of value and I think it's important to look at that training as an investment. Very interesting. And uh, I think reflecting back from my personal ways of learning and people I've seen around me, um, I think behavioral change is a journey. There's a lot to be bring from our past experiences into the way we behave, our personality types, things we are constantly learning from people around us and our colleagues' behaviors. Now, to change behavior in the workplace, it needs a series of constant interventions and what I'd call a learning journey. Now, what your team and what Hayes are developing and brings to clients is this learning journey, starting off with the diagnostic you talked about earlier, uh, helping people and groups understand themselves, understand their behavior in light of expectations, and then creating a learning journey, which is a series of interventions of coaching, on-the-job learning, projects from colleagues, classroom learning, digital learning, and constant evaluation through these diagnostics, which make it very powerful and bring a commercial aspect to it, which shows the return on investment in such training. Uh, Dan, could you give us a couple of examples where clients have worked with you on developing this learning journey and the value they've got at the end of it? Yeah, really good question, actually. And actually, there's there's a couple of clients that immediately come to mind. One is, and I think there's different drivers for this, one is if we take uh, George Floyd. So post the murder of George Floyd, we had a global uh, financial service client came to us and their problem statement was two things, actually. What is our um, black colleagues uh, don't feel valued and welcomed in this organization? And you can imagine the impact that that would have on team relationships, performance, et cetera. And the other problem statement they had was um, our white managers are nervous about the ED&I uh, agenda. So with that organization, it was really important that we went in and did that diagnostic that you spoke to in terms of, well, we've got to take a deep dive into this culture. You know, what is the experience of black colleagues currently why do they not feel valued welcomed etc and what's the experience of, of um, um, white managers so through the diagnostic process we identified a number of key areas and those key areas 
led us to create the intervention. And actually, the intervention was anchored on a series of, I mean, we would call this process less training in this, but it was what we called honest conversations. So we ran a series of honest conversations, dialogues across the whole of uh, Europe and into North America with this global client. But actually, what was really important in terms of that intervention, we said to the senior leaders at the start of the process, what are your success measures? What do you want to achieve over the next 18 months? And we established three key uh, success measures for the project. And one was through the engagement survey, you know, you get those questions. Do you feel valued and respect in this organization? We needed to move that dial up. And that was the thing that anchored the project. So we did lots and lots of things. So we did those intercultural dialogues effectively, supported by coaching for senior executives. What was critical in this project is that this organization had effectively a race network group, an ERG. So we worked extensively with the chairs of those networks because we figured out early on that they were the key stakeholders in that community that would be the success or failure of this project. So working with them and providing coaching for them and giving them support and confidence to have conversations with their senior managers was actually a really critical success. And we reevaluated the project after that 18-month period and looked at that question, do you feel valued and respected? Still lots of work to do, but the dial completely moved up. Thank you, Dan. This has been very insightful. Uh, I think I have learned a lot as, as, as part of this session. Uh, we will see if we can have another session soon, if we could do a deep dive. But please, I, I hope you know everyone listening to this podcast has got something from it, has learned a bit. It is a very, very broad topic and there are multiple different strands to this. Uh, if you want to find out more, please get in touch, contact us. We would love to help you. Uh, we are also building our thinking as we are going, our products, our diagnostics, working with clients. We'd love to hear from you. You know, as I said, please do reach out. And we look forward to welcoming you on our next podcast soon. Have a wonderful day. Thank you, Dan. Thank you for having me.